0: In this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 18, we see that the Corinthians are once again questioning Paul's apostleship and his authority. And in this case, they are challenging how or whether he receives material support from his spiritual ministry. He's ministering to them in terms of spiritual things and they're challenging, they're questioning, they're making comments about whether he should receive any material benefit from that. And Paul begins with a very spirited defense of his ministry and his rights and then he makes a case for ministers ministers of the gospel those that serve in any capacity teaching preaching doing things in you know serving the body of Christ as such he makes a strong case for those ministers to be eligible to receive material benefits from their ministry that as they minister they would receive material benefits he makes a case for that and he states that he has chosen to not receive any material benefits from the Corinthians. Now, that's not the rule that he's establishing. He's establishing that as actually the exception. He says it is right for ministers to receive material benefits, but in my case, I have chosen not to receive benefits from you, the Corinthians, and I have chosen to work to do certain things and to gain certain income that met my expenses. So that's the context for what he's talking about or in this passage. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cep- brothers and Cephas or Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel but I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul gets quite impassioned here and he defends his rights But just as he did when speaking about giving up his rights to eat certain foods, what we just looked at in the previous passage, just as he did where he gives up his rights to eat certain foods for the sake of a weaker brother, here he speaks of giving up his rights for material support for the sake of the gospel. He says, you know, this is my right. I I mean, I could claim this or I could say this, and it is right for you to do this. The Lord has commanded it. But for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to give up my rights even. He doesn't want anything to come in the way of proclaiming the gospel, not even whether he receives financial aid from those he ministers to. And Paul is also not wanting in any way for material support, that, is, that comes from the Corinthians, he doesn't want in any way for that material support to lead to a patron-client kind of relationship. So it was common, it was, you know, it was customary in that context Greco-Roman sort of customs and things like that that if you were paying somebody something there would be a reciprocal obligation and that person would be obligated to do something would be would be obligated to follow the dictates of the patron and so the client would be obligated in that way and so he says i don't want to be in any way obligated as a client to perform to your dictates i want to be obedient to the lord i want to preach the gospel I want to make sure that the word is going out, regardless of whether you help me or sustain me or support me, it doesn't matter. I want to be faithful and obedient to the Lord. So he's going through all of these kinds of statements, but considering what we've read so far through chapter 8, through 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it is likely that some of the Corinthians may have been questioning what Paul could do. Or what he could receive materially. How is it that he's you know, taking financial support from us? You know, Isn't the other church also supporting him? Why should we support him? Maybe there was some debate about that. There was some question about that. And others were questioning why Paul was not receiving anything from them. Meaning, why isn't he taking support from us? Because then he would be indebted to us. He would be obligated to us. He would have to do certain things for us. And so there was this kind of debate on both sides or arguments and things like that that was going through. And that's why they are attacking him or defending him or judging him or going through all the stuff. And, and he's making these statements in a response. In any case, but as Paul makes his defense, as he speaks to the people about what it means and what it doesn't mean, we learn an important principle that is to be applied in our contemporary church and ministry context. And that principle is the fact that ministers of the gospel can and should receive material benefits from their ministry. So let me make that statement one more time. Ministers of the gospel can and should receive material benefits from their ministry. Now, it is God who provides us with everything, right? Whether you feel you've earned every dollar by your hard work, by the sweat of your brow, you know, this is my hard-earned money. Why should I give it to this person? Why should I give it to the church? You know, whether you think that way, or even if there's some fleeting thought in your mind like that, or whether somebody has said that to you, ultimately, ultimately, you must remember that it is the Lord's grace The Lord's favor, the Lord's provision, and the Lord's care for us that according to his promises, we have adequate food, clothing, shelter, and for most of us, far more than just adequate provisions for our lives we enjoy a benefit and a blessing and an abundance, and especially here in the West, we particularly enjoy all these provisions in a way that we take for granted. And the danger is that we would take that and say, this is mine. But the Lord is never saying, think of it that way. Think of it as His provision. None of us are self-made, right? No matter what we think we've done. The question then is, should ministers of the gospel, Those who are in full or even part-time ministry for the sake of the gospel, the church, the advancement of the kingdom of God, should they receive a compensation? Should ministers have a salary from the church for what they do? Now, when Paul says in verse 13, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? He's referring to the Old Testament practice that God had instituted for the Levites in particular. God said that the tribe of Levi would not receive an allocation of land They would not receive territory in the promised land. They would have cities where they could dwell. They were were allocated in different ways where they could have their habitation and so on. But they were not given land as such, just as the other tribes were. And so they had no means of farming and having crops and so on, and having that as their livelihood. They had no means of raising livestock and doing all of that. They were meant to serve. The tribe of Levi was meant to serve in the temple. And from the tribe of Levi you had those that ministered in all sorts of ways in the temple, in music and in uh, other ways of praise and so on, but of the priests who would receive the sacrifices from the people and they would minister in that way and What God instituted was that, as the people brought their sacrifices, there were some sacrifices that were totally consumed. It would be called a burnt offering, right? And it was totally consumed. They would bring it, they would put it on the altar, it would be burnt up. But there were a number of other sacrifices where they simply brought the grain or the fruit, the first fruits or whatever it may be, and simply offered it in the temple. Or they would have something that was meat of whatever that was placed on the altar but it wouldn't be burnt up and consumed and it would be used after who was who was benefiting from that who was receiving that the priests were the levites were they were to receive all of those things and take from it for their own food for their own needs so this is the principle that Paul is pointing to in the old testament when he says don't you know this is what should happen? He's also talking about oxen and soldiers and farmers and, you know, and all of that, and you know that's, those are imagery things, images that he's using to convey the same message. But the idea, the principle that God had instituted was that the ministers of the gospel, or those that were receiving, those that were ministering on behalf of the people could receive from the people some material benefit. Right? And so that's what he's talking about here. So he's reinforcing this Old Testament principle in this passage, and he's also speaking about the fact that they can marry, they can have another job, they can receive other material benefits. He He says there's no restriction on that. In fact, he and Barnabas and others were doing things that would have brought in Supplemental income. If the church was not supporting them, they were doing those things. So he says, there's nothing wrong in doing that. You can do all of that. And he is countering, he is countering the arguments that ministers should live in poverty, or that ministers of the gospel should be ascetic or you know they should be celibate they can't take a wife with them they should just be celibate they should be devoted to the lord only they can't do these things and they should not have any material comforts they shouldn't drive a good car they shouldn't live in a good house they should be living in poverty while the you know while they serve the people these are mindsets that that come into play in our modern thinking and in the past, right? There were these kinds of things that were, make, that were there in the church as such. And Paul makes very similar statements in First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 about the fact that ministers can, can receive material benefits, material supports. And in 1 Timothy 5, he writes, "'Let the elders who rule well "'be considered worthy of double honor, "'especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Very similar to what we read here. And the laborer deserves his wages. That was a statement that Jesus made when he was talking to the disciples. But Paul also goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6 that this right for a minister to be compensated does not mean that the minister should seek to become wealthy at the expense of the people. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So ministers of the gospel may receive a salary, but the word of God is very clear. They should be vigilant that a love for money never replaces their love for God. Their love for God has to be priority, has to be preeminent. And that should be what is evident to the people, not the love for money. If you hear a minister of the gospel emphasizing the money and their income as such over everything else, there's there's something wrong. If they are emphasizing the love of God and the ministry that is of the gospel, and in the process of doing that, they receive some material benefit, fine. But look at what he's emphasizing here. You can't be loving money. You can't pursue getting more money, gaining more wealth, and continue to minister for the Lord. Your loyalties are divided. Your priorities are are, are compromised. You You are going to go after where your heart is, your, your treasure, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, that's what you're gonna pursue. If your treasure, if your heart is not with the Lord, you will go after the things of the world, you will pursue the things of wealth, trying to gain wealth. And what do you do with it? And, and so, by the way, this desire for money, this you know, desire to be wealthy, can be true for any person, whether they are minister in the church or just doing some sort of job in the marketplace. What do we tend to do? We tend to look at those folks that are in the marketplace and say, well, you know, they're they're running a big company, they're doing this, they're doing that, and it's okay for them to be compensated that way. Maybe we don't say that. Maybe we say, Oh, they're unduly, you know, compensated. But we don't say the same thing about the ministers in the church as we do for those in the world. And we say, oh, how come they've got that car, that house, this thing, that thing. Now, it may very well be that there is some love for money. There is some pursuit of that. There is some ungodly excess in that person's life. But it may not be. It may be that they're living quite modestly in terms of what they're receiving or what is available, or what the church has compensated them with, or what their ministry impact is. Before we judge that, let's make sure that we are in the principle of the word of God, and we are encouraging every minister of the gospel to be in the word of God, not pursuing their own desires. So what is the practical steps for us? You know, when we think about this and we look at this and we say, okay, minister of the gospel, they, 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 should, they should be very careful that they are not allowing their love for God to be replaced by the love for money. And what, what, what do they need to do? How can they guard their hearts? How can any of us guard our hearts? We have to be content with what we have. We have to be content with what we have. That's what he's pointing out. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Does that mean that you shouldn't try to improve your situation? You shouldn't try to be educated or to seek another job or to do something else and to increase your income? No, go for it. Do it. Be led of the Lord for that. But there is still a contentment in whatever state that we're in to say, I'm not going to keep pursuing this just for the sake of doing that, just to have more money, just to be able to say, I'm a millionaire or whatever it may be. I'm going to be led of the Lord and will be content in what I have. So ministers of the gospel in particular have to be content with what they have. They must be willing to give up their rights for the sake of the gospel. So if I demand a right, oh, I need to be compensated. I've gone past what the Bible has told me. I've gone past Paul's example. I've gone past what the Lord has encouraged in terms of where our hearts would be. We don't say, it's my right. I'll fight for my rights. We say, for the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to give that up. For the sake of the gospel, I'm willing to suffer whatever it may be. Even remember the passages that we've gone through. Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged for the sake of the gospel? Right? So we would do that. We would guard our hearts in this way. We would be content. We would be willing to give up our rights. And we must rely on and obey God, not people. We must rely on and obey God, not people. If we look to please people, if we look to obey people, we will pursue how best to set that up and to do it in such a way that I can receive benefit from it. But if I say, I'm going to rely on and obey God, That no matter what happens, I trust God. I'll look to him. He'll provide. I'll be fine. And there is a trust in God that takes us past this. Now, when we consider practical steps, even in in the church and so on, as it is in our case and the case for many local churches and ministries. We have an administrative board, we make compensation decisions that way, and we make those decisions and we talk about you know people that we want to bring in to the staff of the church, part-time people right now, whatever it may be, as we look at those things, we say, look, we're looking at the size of the church, we're looking at the giving of the church, we're looking at the specific call and the mission of the church, we're looking at the specific needs of the minister, uh, you know, and we're looking at the growth and life cycle stage of the church. Is the church just launching? Is it just being planted? Or is it well established? Are there means by which we can do these things? We evaluate those things and say, here's the decisions that we want to make. And we want to do that responsibly, with great care, with wisdom from the Lord, honoring the Lord, paying attention to what he would be saying, this is the next step that I want you to take. So we do that responsibly and carefully in co- co- cooperation you know, in terms of how we would do that. And, and, and we would also pay attention to the needs of the local community. We would say, what is it that this local community needs? How should we address that? Many, many times, especially when missionaries go into places, they may have resources that far exceed what the local community's condition is. They may be going into a very impoverished area. And they may live in a much more uh, 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 impoverished state than they would otherwise. But still, they may be living in such a way that is far better than even the local folks that are there. Is that wrong? No, we would say, okay, how, are they doing that with the right hard attitude? Are they doing that in a way to serve those people? Are they doing it in a way to be able to show God's faithfulness and kindness and provision and continue to serve those in need, right? In the same way, in the opposite context, you may go into a place where you don't have a lot of the resources or we may plant a church or do something else in a community that is wealthy. Does that mean that then the church should live in that way? They should be ostentatious? They should you know, do all of that stuff, no. We say, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to minister? How should we do this to be responsible for what resources you have provided, for which we are stewards? We're not the owners. And so we continue to do those things in a a proper way that will address the things of the Lord. Now, as I go through all these points and talk about these things, I'm sure there are lots of things that you're thinking of and lots of examples that you can think of from the church around you, right? Churches in the area, church, the church universal, lots of abuses of in terms of what it means to give and lots of manipulation, lots of ways in which ministers of the gospel have lived in very extravagant ways and claimed that the promises of God in ways that the word is never intending to be used And so there are lots of things like that that you could point to. And you could say, wow, you know, I see this. But, and I'll get to this, and I'll say this again in just a few minutes, but I'm not saying this so that you can point to the wrong and say, well, that means I'll not do this at all. I won't give to the church. I won't give for any ministers. I won't support any missions. I won't do any of that because I see that these people are abusing that. I see that these people are doing something wrong with it. No what I am pointing out is, what is the principle in the Word of God? The Word of God calls us to give. The Word of God calls us to support. The Word of God asks us to be generous. The Word of God tells us to be stewards. And so, we do it as unto the Lord. I've told the story in the past, but we were in a situation where Jizzy and I, where we had saved a whole bunch of money to buy a van. Our, we had one vehicle. We were wanting the second vehicle. The boys, you know, our boys at that time were young. We needed to Drive them around everywhere, and so we said, "All right, we'll try to get a minivan." We had saved up some money for that, and we're sitting in church one Sunday, and this visiting pastor came, speaker came, and he talked all about this need that they were, they had, and what they were doing, and how they were about to send missionaries and doing all this stuff, and this big program that they were launching, and he said, "You know, we need a lot of, you know, I, I, he mentioned some amount, and you know, we're praying for this, and we ask you to give generously," and both Jizzy and I. Had, just turned to each other and without having done anything beforehand, we said, we're going to take that whole amount that we had been saving and give it. Right. And I mean, it was just very, very much that we were just, you know, led of the Lord to do that. We hadn't discussed previously, we didn't go into that service saying, if there is a request for any funds this morning, we will give this. We didn't, we just sat there. He said this, both of us turned to each other and we said, this is what we're going to do. And we gave it. We gave the whole amount. And then we sat there and we thought, I don't know when we'll get a van. I don't know what will happen. We don't know when we can do it. But we feel we've obeyed the Lord. And after a little bit of time, I, I can't even tell you how long or whatever it was, we did get a van. We were fine. Everything was okay. And, you know, we did it. That particular ministry had a lot of difficulties and problems after that and they shut down and there was a whole bunch of things and some of the missionaries that had gone out on the field, I mean, there were some real things, real problems that took place, you know, it was just a mess. The pastor of our church at that time was very involved with that and was trying to help and was doing things and so we knew a lot of the details of what had happened. And, you know, the question that came up was, did we do the right thing? Did we give in the right way? Did we do this in a way that You know, we should have. Did we hear from the Lord? And the very clear confidence we had was we didn't do it because we were being manipulated by the speaker. We did it because we really felt as of the Lord to do this as unto the Lord. And so we gave. We gave and we did it. And that's now the accountability of what we gave in terms of what that ministry did with it. That's between them them. And God, but the accountability for what we needed to do is between us and God, and so we just obeyed. We said, "Okay, this is what the Lord is prompting us to do." We give, and off it went. Right. So the Lord will provide. He will take care of things. He will do all of this that, he's, that it's necessary for our lives. And I'm glad to answer any more questions on this topic because I. I'm sure there may be more questions that come up in your minds about this. Glad to address it in the sermon discussion on Wednesday or at any other time. Glad to talk about all of those things and what, you know we can discuss any scenario that you have encountered. But let me move to what is important for us as we respond and apply this word of God that we've heard. That I want to encourage you that you would support the local church as led by the Lord. Uh, and how it may, be, it may seem self-serving for me to stand here and to say that ministers should receive payment from the church, and that people in the church should give generously to the local church as the Lord leads. And that's not my goal at all. Uh, by God's grace, in terms of you know, similar to what Paul has said here, I, I, there's no issue at all like that. I'm not asking for any pay raise. I'm not looking for anything like that. No, there's nothing, there's nothing that has to be you know, in that regard. My goal is that you would know and practice biblical principles for giving that further your stewardship of God's resources, further the advancement of the kingdom of God, and further the growth of this local church. That's what God is calling you to. That's my goal. Don, it's not self-serving. I want to say, what are the principles that apply that will help you to further your stewardship, your management of God's resources? What are the principles that will further the advancement of the kingdom of God? And what are the principles that, when applied, will further the growth of this local church? Lots more chairs to be filled. Lots more people around us that need to be reached. Lots more that the Lord wants for us to be doing. Lots more that the word of God can accomplish as it is sent forth from this local church. This local church can be a place of building up and equipping and and commissioning and sending out. Let's pray for that. Not to be just thinking of what is there, but to see with God's eyes for what can be there. And we say, God, what principles should I apply? What should I do? My goal is that as Proverbs chapter three, verse nine to 10 states, you would honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And I'm not saying that just in terms of, you know, give and you will get back a hundredfold. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying as we give into the house of the Lord, as we bring into the storehouse of the Lord, then this house will be blessed to overflow with benefit for others and the new wine of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it impacts other people's lives. We're doing all sorts of things both here in person and online. I've mentioned to you that there's a lady who has joined on Wednesday evenings, just she joins in the prayer time and in the sermon discussion. She just found us online. Being able to put things out online and to have those meetings and have those things available has allowed this person to to participate. This last meeting that we had this past week, she said, you know, I hope you know that you are my church home. And we said, yeah, we know. We are very glad that you're here. We pray for you. We are glad that you're praying. She's so encouraged. She's so engaged. We may never see her here on a Sunday morning. But she's so excited. And why do we do that? How do we do that? Just as we keep advancing, just as we keep investing, just as we keep working towards whatever the Lord would lead us into. So as we do that, you know, there are plenty of biblical principles for giving and receiving. There are biblical principles for sowing and reaping. There are biblical principles for giving to the poor and those in need. There are biblical principles for giving to the church, of replenishing the storehouse, the local church from where you're being fed, so that there's food in the house of the Lord. This week, all I'm telling you and what we're asking, what I'm asking you to consider is that you would give to those who minister as a part of our giving to the church. And we'll return to this topic of giving in later chapters in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But let me conclude by reading a few more verses I read from 1 Timothy chapter 6 that godliness should not be seen as a means for financial gain, and that all of us should pursue and practice godliness with contentment. But Paul goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 to say this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain Mother Teresa, who helped the poor and ministered to the needy based solely on the generosity of people all over the world. She had no job, other things, she had no income, she had no business, nothing else. It was based solely on the generosity of people from all over the world. This is what she said of giving, it is not how much we give, but how much love we put into giving. We give because we love the Lord, and we love each other. As we give, we enable the fulfillment of the Lord's commission to make disciples. That's our mission, to love God, love people, make disciples. We invest in the lives of people. We lay up treasure in heaven. We prepare for eternal life in the future so that we live wonderfully contended lives on the earth, in the present. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you bless us, you watch over us, you guide us, you give us your word, and it is complete for us. Lord God, I pray that we may receive the truth of your word, not what we think, not what somebody else thinks, not what we have been told, But that, Lord, we would say to the Holy Spirit, let me receive your truth from this word and let me respond to that word by doing what you are asking me to do. Let me give generously. Let me support the local church. Let me see that the things of God that are envisioned for this church will be fulfilled. Lord, guide me, direct me, help me. And so, Lord, I thank you that your word is complete for our life and our godliness. And as we pursue godliness with contentment, it is our greatest gain. Lead us in this coming week, month, rest of the year, the coming years, Lord, to put these principles into practice. We ask all all these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.